how often have we said to be separated, you know, we've talked about being separated from the world, you know, we got to come out of this world system, you know, be separated. Now, what it says in Revelation 18.4, be separated. It's interesting there in, in Revelation 18.4, it tells us that not to be part of the worldly sins, but we can talk about the problems to people. You know, it tells us to be separated. And you can talk with family members that are not part of the church. You can talk to people in the world and tell them, look at the situation this world's in. Look at the economy. The dollar bill keeps going down in relationship to the euro, which keeps going up, and into the uh, Chinese uh, market. And you can tell them, and you can talk to them, and you can show them. They just, but they don't see it. They think everything's okay because they listen to the politicians who are saying, "Yeah, we're doing all right. You know, we're doing fine." And yet, no matter how much you tell them, they don't want to learn. They don't want to grasp. They don't want to hear and see what's being said. And yet, how about in the church? God has opened to us some understanding, as Daryl was pointing out. He's opened to us the understanding on the calendar. And many people have heard it. They just don't want to change tradition. They want to stay where they were or go back. And we've had people here who said, oh yeah, I see the calendar. And for one reason or another, they go back to one of the other daughters of Worldwide and go back and keep the same calendar that was before because it's tradition. And yet God's telling us there are other things. We learned about Passover, the way you set Passover up, you know, the, instead of doing the foot washing and then the bread and the wine, we do the bread and the wine and then the foot washing, and they want to change. We've had people that have changed, but they turned right around and went back to the same traditions they had before. And is that strange? Look at Israel. God took a nation, took one man and trained him, brought him up from a child, trained him with a tremendous education in, in the Egyptian language. He had a tremendous background. At 40 years old, God threw him out. Let him go and learn 40 more years of how to take and raise sheep so he could work with people. Came back, he spent the time with the whole nation, didn't he? They went through, the nation went through four plagues. God wanted to get their attention, and he destroyed the nation of Israel. He brought Israel to the spot where there was mountains on the right, mountains on the left, a big, vast body of water in front of them, and an Egyptian army behind them. What did they do? Well, they were excited at first. We're getting freedom until they got to that point, and then what did they do? Well, right away, they jumped all over Moses and said, Why'd you do this to us? Why'd you bring us out here? To kill us? It reminds me of what my wife used to have. The kids used to jump on her when they were seven, eight, nine years old. She was washing their hair. And they said, You're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. She had to say, You know, when you were a baby, I could hold you in both hands. If I was going to get rid of you, I'd have done it at that time. I wouldn't wait till you fight back. 
Well, here's the whole nation. They've been shown they had freedom. They didn't lose a child, the firstborn. Egypt did, but they didn't. So now you get some out here, and they got this place. They're in a rock and a hard place. The first thing they do is said, why'd you do this, Moses? Why'd you bring us out here? To kill us? They were ready to turn around and go back into Egypt, weren't they? That's not what God wanted. He said, go and suck it up and go across the sea. You know? He opened the party up, the water up, they went across the sea. They turned around and watched the Egyptian army totally destroyed. What happened? First time they got into a problem, they cried and they whined and they moaned and they groaned and they said, you brought us out here to kill us again. We wanted, we were so much protected back there. We had our leeks and our onions and we had this house to live in and now we're out here in the middle of nowhere. Isn't that basically what happens to Israel? And how about us today in the church? Have we ever thought that? Have you ever thought that? You know, we got a, at least I did, and I can remember 2001, giving the last sermon that, uh, the first sermon on the last day, and I, it just struck me, you know, like one of those light bulbs comes on, or maybe the spirit enters into you, and you, you shake your head and say, hey, what are we doing living back in Babylon, you know? Because Daryl went through a whole series of sermons there that showed that God was working with his people throughout the centuries. He always took them where? To the big cities? Do you take them to a flesh country where you had big trees and lots of water and all this? No. All the time, when you look at what God has done, he's always taken people to the desert. And I shook my head and said, hey, we're going to go move out to the desert southwest. And my wife's sitting there saying, oh, I'm glad he confided in me. <laughs> but you see, God's always taken his people to the desert. So we come to the desert, like Israel. We run into a rock. What do we do? Oh, I wish I had stayed back in Fort Myers or Houston or Georgia or Texas or wherever, North Carolina, South Carolina, Ohio. You know, all these places with plush trees and a lot of people and our kids and all that. Is that what we did? Are we like Israel? We want to complain and not take and suck it up and say, this is what God wants. I'm here to be trained and educated. So God told Israel to go ahead and go across the Red Sea. God told us to go across that Red Sea too. Maybe not the same way. He didn't part from water and we had to walk across. But in a sense, he told us to leave what? Babylon. And to go forward, continue going forward. And yet we've had people that have turned around and went backward, didn't they? Sad. It just depends on where you put your thoughts and your actions. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. It's a good point here because here's where a young man 
was ordained a deacon. But this deacon was not just the run-of-the-mill deacons who wanted a position. He was so filled with God's Spirit, and they called him the scribes, Pharisees, they brought him in there, the elders brought him in there and called him to count for what he was doing. Verse 36, Acts 7, 36. Talking about Israel and explaining to them about Israel, he says, he brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. So here Stephen said, look, this is what God, he built them up, he kept building up, building up, building them up. And then he comes to that point and says, this is what God's done. He took care of this whole nation, provided for them, gave them everything. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God rise up unto you, your brethren, like unto me, him shall you hear. Speaking of Christ. That God's going to raise up another prophet that we should listen to. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness, Stephen pointed out to these people that whether they liked it or not, it was Christ that was there leading them. It was Christ that was talking to them. They could actually have said, this was Emmanuel. God is with us throughout the whole 40 years. This is what he was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spoke unto him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the Lively oracles given unto us. So he said, they received this knowledge. They received all this information that God gave to us. Now, they were there. They were part of it. To whom our fathers would not obey. So here we have God, Stephen was saying, we have God with us. But they didn't obey him. They don't want to hear him. They wanted him cried and wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back across the Red Sea. They wanted to leave the things that God had promised to them. They wanted to go back. They didn't want to obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again to Egypt. There's something for us to think about. Are we ready to turn our hearts back to Egypt, to Babylon? Revelation 18.4, come out of her? Out of what? Out of Babylon? Do we really want to go back into that same situation we came out of? God's promised us tremendous blessings. Do we want to go back? Verse 40, saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses which burned, uh, brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what's become of him. So here Moses has gone up on the mountain. You have to remember, this is at that point, the day of Pentecost. God spoke to them. He gave them the commandments. They sat there and trembled and finally said to Moses, don't let God talk to us. You talk to God and then you tell us. So Moses goes up on the mountain. For 40 days he's gone. Forty days. How, how quick does it take us to forget what God's given to us? How, how much time 
will elapse between when God shows you the things to do until you forget those things. It was less than 40 days. Moses was gone. They didn't know where he was. Must have died up there in the hills, in the mountain. Well, we just need to go back to Egypt. Make us Aaron a god. I mean, sometimes we say that. Let's make us some kind of a thing to follow. Yeah, god is something that you put your heart into. It can be anything. There are a whole series on idols. What becomes an idol? Could be a job. Could be a family. Could be a house. Could be a part of the country. Could be anything. So here they're telling you, make us a god like we had back in Egypt, something that we have our hands on. Whereas that in in Isaiah it talks about we go out in the forest, we chop down a tree, or Jeremiah, we chop down a tree and we take that tree and we chop it up and we make wood to keep us warm, get our houses back up to ninety degrees where it's nice. Or we might take it and and uh, use it to cook our food on. And then we take what's left and we make a god out of it. Now, isn't that crazy? We've got something we can put our hands on and we can call that our god and we made it. It's so easy for us to do that, isn't it? How much time is involved from the time that God imparts in your mind something before you change? Whether it be the calendar, whether it be going forward. I can remember Mr. Armstrong in the 70s, late 70s, saying, my work is done, continue going forward. How many times did I hear him say, you can be like a lake that's stagnant and you go nowhere. But you want to have to be in a stream that's flowing and you're going uphill and you're always growing and you're getting fresh water in, fresh food. Too often it's easy for us to sit back and say, why go forward? I'm, I'm comfortable. Revelation chapter 3, and that what it says there about the Laodicean? They're saying, I am comfortable. I don't need any more. I'm rich and priest of goods. I, we're in this big organization. We might have five, six, seven thousand. We call it big, but worldwide was over a hundred thousand baptized members. So, five or six thousand, not really pretty big, is it? But we sit back and say, I'm all right. I'm comfortable. Why go forward? And I, like I said earlier, we've had people who said, I can see the calendar. Where are they today? How long did it take them to forget what God told them? Whether it be the calendar, the Passover, uh, anything. So you have to ask yourself, what amount of time is it going to take for me to forget what God's telling me? And am I then going to turn around and sit there and complain to God and say, why'd you bring me out here to this desert area? I mean, it's cold, it's rainy. We have no trees except those that we plant. Now, here we are trying to get trees back in here. But normally, this desert area doesn't have a whole lot of trees, does it? So how many times do we like to see it green? I can remember for years and years, I used to say, once you cross that area, I think it's out around San Antonio, Texas, and go west, you lose all the green. It's all green east of there, everything west of there is brown. 
stones and stuff. And it's nothing like being in Florida. I mean, it's green all the time in Florida. But do you want to be there? Do you look back and say, I wish that that was where I was. My home was in wherever it is, wherever it was, and I was comfortable, and I liked that part. And I want to be back there. Or do we look at what God's giving to us on a daily basis? Now, they wanted to go back. They said, what's become of Moses? Do we say that? What's become of Herbert Armstrong? What's become of the teacher we have today? Are we ready to say, well, he's not around. Let's go out and do our own thing. Verse 41, And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices unto the idols and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. People love to do that. Human nature is that way. We like to rejoice in what we do because we don't have God in our hands. He has to be in our mind and in our heart. We have to know that there is a God. We have to be committed 100%. If we lose that commitment and we lose that faith, then we're going to go back to Egypt, aren't we? In this case, or Babylon, as Revelation 18.4 says, come out of Babylon. If we lose sight, what it says about Abraham there in uh, Hebrews 11, he said, Abraham looked for what? A city that hands didn't build. He had the vision of something so much spectacular, so far ahead of mankind, that that's what kept him going forward. And he was considered, and God calls him the father of the faithful, because he believed God and followed God. He didn't turn around and go back. And, and here's a man that was multi-rich. Multi-rich. 300 servants in his own, you know, his own family. And he could have said, hey, I want to go back to Babylon where I can just lay back and, you know, be the boss. You know, he went forward. And that's what God expects from us. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O you house of Israel, have you offered to me uh, slain beasts and sacrifices by space of 40 years in the wilderness. This is what they did. For 40 years they did this. And they still didn't remember. But notice this verse 43. Yes, you took up the tabernacle of Molech and the stars of your uh, gods went ramping, the figures which you made to worship them and you carried them away beyond Babylon. But God related back to that whole group, that church in the wilderness, was that they never gave up Egypt. They carried their gods out of Egypt and never put them behind. It's something to think about. Do we as individuals somewhere down the line have some kind of a God that we still are hanging on to? They clung with tooth and toenail to their gods of Egypt because they just didn't want to give them up. They didn't have 
the tenacity of Abraham, who gave it up and stayed and became faithful. So our crossing the Red Sea has to come to that point, doesn't it? We have to come and face the fact that we have to leave our past life. When God says and called us and opened our understanding to leave the cities and come to the desert, come to the fields, and he's told us that we have to build cities without walls. And it's, as Daryl pointed out, it's very, to me it's very obvious that God's going to build seven of these cities. One for the churches, you know, seven churches. Seven cities without walls. Or are we going to look back and go back and say, well, I've got to make my city look like the world cities? No, we don't want to do that, do we? We want to be God's cities, God's place, God's way of life. So are we then, brethren, coming out of Babylon? Have we come out of Babylon? Have we crossed the Red Sea or that aspect of walking out of the way of this this worldly way of life. Notice it says, Come out of her, my people, that you be par- not partakers of her sins. So what he says to us to come out of this world, out of what? Out of their sins. Yes, we have to live here in a Babylonian society, but God says don't be partakers and share in their sins, in their way of life. But it's awful easy, isn't it? It's awful easy to be so close to them that we want to be part of their sins. We want to enjoy those things that are added to us. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. We have to leave all the ways of life, this worldly ways, behind us and not complain because we don't have them, but we have to leave them behind 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And God's making a specific statement. If you are unrighteous, so it means we've got to put unrighteousness doesn't it? If you are unrighteous, you have no part in his kingdom. It's offered to us, the kingdom, just like God offered to them to be a whole nation of kings and priests, but they couldn't let go of Babylon. They couldn't let go of Egypt and all the gods. So we're to become a nation of kings and priests. Be not deceived. Notice, he lists some of those things that are part of Babylon. Neither fornicators, and this has to do with sexual relations, idolaters. How many idols do we have? And we have these other things that we want to put in front of our Creator. Neither adulterers, neither effeminate. And look at the society today. You can't help, if you turn on the TV, see a lot of effeminates. You can tell them when you walk in the stores and they come up. If it's a male, it's really, or even female, they take the other side, the male approach. Effeminates nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves. Well, hear this. Sometimes we say, well, that's not theft, just because I 
took some pencils from the boss, or I fudged on my income tax. Of course, if you fudge long enough on your income tax, you know, you'll find out that you're wrong and you'll find yourself behind bars. Nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So he gives specific things. He said, don't be a part of these sins that Babylon has. And he tells us what they are. I want to read Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21 out of the New Living Translation. I thought it was interesting because of the way it put it. But again, in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, this is the works of the flesh. When you follow these, the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce those evil results. If we follow our own sinful nature, these are the results we'll find we, we go to. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasures, great desire. Even even in the church we sometimes have that eagerness to go to places that will please us. Eagerness for lustful pleasures. Idolatry. How much of us have idolatry? You know, look into your life and search it out. Participation in domestic activities. You know, Participating in this world's ways. Lost my place. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, divisions, <clears throat> the feeling of that everyone, <clears throat> the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group. I mean, I hear that all the time. If you're not part of my group, well, then you're wrong. If you can't come and be a part of us and follow our leader, then you have no part in God. And that's what he's saying. This is a natural tendency, human nature tendency. Think that everybody else is wrong. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin... Let me tell you again, as I, t I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're to come out from that way of life, aren't we? To put that behind us. He emphasized that again in Ephesians. And you can pick that up and read that later. Ephesians 3 through 7 goes through the same part of things. He's emphasizing the type of sins that mankind has, and yet God's called us to come out of that. Isaiah 48.20 tells us to go forth from Babylon. It's not any different than come out of Babylon. It's in Re Revelation 18, isn't it? Again, in Isaiah 52, verse 11 says, Depart, depart you, go out from hence, touch no unclean things. Go out you of the midst of her, be you clean, that bear the vessels of God. It's a command. God says to come out of this world. We are to cross 
in perspective the sea. When they crossed the Red Sea, remember, and God closed the water up on top of Egypt, it shut that path off going back into Egypt. God called us and brought us here. He's opened our understanding from the world. Some of us 40 years ago, some maybe 50, some maybe not that long ago. It depends on when you were baptized. God opened your mind and said, come out of this world. And he began to teach you. Do we drift back in the world? How many times when Worldwide broke up were you hurt when you saw someone you thought was really with God go back in the world? It hurts, doesn't it? When you have children, when you have brothers and sisters and uncles, you see them go back in the world. Same holds true to us. You can't go backward. If you want to stay in one spot and think that only have to go with what Mr. Armstrong taught, you're stagnant. You're not growing. And God didn't bring us here to sit in a stagnant pool, did he? He brought us here and he feeds us with new, fresh information every week. Because he wants us to come away from Babylon. And Jeremiah 50 again says, Remove out of the midst of Babylon. He said, come out of there. So it's throughout the scriptures. Many scriptures keep reminding us that we've got to come out of this past history, past way of life. Because it says, don't be partakers of their sins. Why? Because if you partake of their sins, he goes on in Revelation 18, then you're going to take care of it. You're going to participate in their plagues. It's not going to be a beautiful time. It's not going to be easy. You will go through the plagues. Paul talking to Timothy as an elder and telling him as an elder when he goes out and ordains people to be an elder or even baptized in 1 Timothy 5.22 says, tells Timothy... Lay hands suddenly on no man. So just don't run out there and just lay hands. I can remember the time when many people were baptized, just, they just baptized them. They didn't take the time to see if they were really committed. What happens, like Beryl was pointing out earlier, we need to spend time and let people realize that just coming out here and living on this piece of property in the desert doesn't guarantee you a place of safety. It doesn't guarantee you a spot in the kingdom of God. You have to be committed. You have to have a, a willingness like Abraham to go all the way. Not just part the way, but go all the way. So he told Timothy, lay not hands suddenly. Then he goes on and says, be partakers of, their, of no man's sin, no other man's sin. So don't, just because somebody wants to be a part of the church or wants to come out here, we can't just invite them out here because we can't be a part of their sins. We don't want them to bring this little group down or bring others down along with them. We just don't want to do that. 
I've learned, and this question is brought up to me, that I think it was my, my oldest daughter said, had you noticed that when people listen to God, they follow God, they do things His way, then God is with them. So as long as we spend our time seeking God and letting Him teach us, and then obey. It's a two-phase thing there. You have to be willing to be taught, but then you also have to obey. You almost have to follow that. Now, God is a very merciful God, and merciful meaning tolerant and forbearing. So God has been very tolerant with the church and very tolerant with us. I know he has to be very tolerant with me. And he forbears a lot with me. And I know it has to be that with each and every one of us. So our God is merciful. He wants us to be with him and to obey him. Look at Psalms 25. Psalm chapter 25. Our God is very merciful. He doesn't fall short of anything. Psalm 25 verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenants and his testimonies. So there's a lot of things. God wants to be with us. He wants to help us. He wants to prosper, you know, have us be prosperous. But we also have to keep his covenants, keep his commands, his testimonies. The things that he teaches us. Again, in chapter 103 of Psalms, Chapter 103. God is very merciful. He wants to teach us. He wants us to follow his commands, but we have to follow them too. Verse 17, Psalm 103, verse 17. But the mercies of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. He's saying that there's no end to God's mercy. There's no end. He has that much compassion, that much love, that much tolerance in being able to forbear, which is something for us to learn, too, to be tolerant of each other and tolerant of the things that God's teaching us. Everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenants and those that remember his commandments to do them. We have to remember them. He said he would write them in our hearts. We don't have to have that written down in front of us. If it's in our heart and our mind, then we will follow God. Just like Abraham and like Moses and like Stephen. Stephen who loved God so much, he was willing to go all the way to his death. Just like Christ, who set us the right example, who followed God all the way. Do we really listen to what God says to us? Sometimes we don't listen. Sometimes we want to let it go by and not really hear everything that God has to send to us. Revelation chapter 3.17 tells us that God stands at the door and he's knocking are we ready to open that door and let him come in? Or do we say, wait a minute, 
Uh, maybe there's something else I, I, I want to go get over here. Maybe I want to have a little bit more pleasure, a little bit more time, a little bit more of this world before I open the door and let you come in. See, the Laodiceans all thought that they had enough. They don't need any more. But I'm telling you that we sit here, we've had sermons that have been so moving, and I've learned so much over the past few years that I've read before, and I said, why didn't I understand it before? Well, because God wasn't ready for us to understand it before. It's like Daniel, and Daniel said, well, I want to know what this, what I'm writing here, what does it mean? And God said, shut it up, it's not for you. So God shut up a lot of the stuff that we're learning today because it wasn't time. Now, if we brought out the fact that the question of the Passover 20 years ago, we probably would have walked away because we wouldn't, wouldn't have believed it. We would have, and today the church doesn't want to believe those things. They just don't want to listen because tradition keeps it from happening. In Exodus 19, verse 5, so God tells Laodiceans, I'm out here knocking, open the door, and I'll come in and I'll teach you. So we have to open the door of our mind that God will say, we can say to God, come in and teach me. And what have we learned about the minor prophets? What have we learned about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, of Ezra and Nehemiah? We've learned a lot of things. We've learned things that we have read time and again, yet God's opened our minds to those things. Exodus 19, verse 5, Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenants, then you shall be a peculiar treasure above all people, for the earth is mine. God's telling us, if we will just hear his voice and obey him. I know sometimes it seems hard. It seems hard to think that maybe this country is Ephraim. Maybe Jerusalem is not over in the Middle East. Especially since we've learned that by the scriptures, that Jerusalem was desolate. We know that Jerusalem over there in the Middle East has never been desolate. Isn't that strange? We read that before. Jerusalem is desolate, has no stone upon another. The cities of Judah were torn apart and taken down. It's strange. And if you bring this out and tell someone in the church today that, They'll say, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. I heard that there was a person that went to the Middle East and said, I know for a fact now, because I traveled over there to Palestine in the Middle East, and I know because I've been there that that's the Jerusalem. And yet when you read archaeology, and they tell you that there is nothing that relates to that being the middle, the Jerusalem, the original Jerusalem. They can't find anything. They've been searching 
for more than 30 years, and he still hasn't found anything. Do more than that because he was searching for that stuff back in the 40s, and they still haven't found anything. So are we hearing God's voice and keeping his covenants and his commands? If we want to obey God and we want to be a part of his family, he says, hear my voice. Listen to what I say. And he inspires those to to understand. He imparts knowledge to his servants. It's what he does. That's God. Does God expect us to go out there and sacrifice? You know, 40 years he talked about that Israel sacrificed in the wilderness. 40 years they killed all these animals. They had to have a big, huge herd of animals, didn't they? I mean, it had to be massive. We talked about maybe a million or two million people. But they had to have an awful large, massive number of animals for 40 years to do all the sacrificing they did. So here Samuel, talking to King Saul, points out the fact that that's not what brings you close to God. Remember he says here in First Samuel 15, 22, God speaking through Samuel to King Saul and says, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Does he have that much pleasure? So it goes on to say, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. He's asking us to obey him. You don't want us to go out there and killing lambs, or goats, or cows, not for a sacrifice. He wants our attention. He wants us to recognize that he has brought us to this point in life for a purpose and not to go back to the world. He just, because he said that. In, seven, in Jeremiah 7, he tells us to obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. If we will just obey his voice. He told that to Israel. But they didn't listen, did they? They kept going back. Every time they got between a rock and a hard place, God brought them to kill them. They had so much more back behind them. That's why it says they carried their gods out of Egypt. And they kept their mind back in the world because that's where they felt comfortable. So every time they got a difficulty... I remember back how great it was before. Instead of looking at what's forward, like Abraham looked for something far forward, much, much more better than Egypt. So are we looking forward to those things? So if we obey God, if we hear His voice, if we strive to do things his way, he says he will be with us. He'll help us and prosper us. I don't look for us to, as a little group to be a massive group of people. I just look for us to be so close together as a family that we can be interlocked as individuals of one family. 
and we help each other. We don't look at problems with each other. If somebody has a problem, we help him up. We build him up. We take care of him. It's like you would with your children. If you were a parent, or you are a parent, how do you take care of your children? When they get hurt or they're down, you bring them up. So that's what we need to be doing. If we will just listen to God, then he will help us to become a unified group of people. But the other side of the coin is, the coin is, you know, if we, the one side is if we listen to God, he'll be with us, he'll teach us and lead us, and we won't look back to the world. We won't need to look back at what the world does. We know we'll go forward into the things he wants us. The other side is, when we disrespect God, we turn our back on God, we turn our back on the things that he tells us, then he won't be with us. He's apt to correct us pretty sharply because he wants us to continue going forward. So if we disrespect God, then we can look as Proverbs 10.29 says, Proverbs 10.29, the ways of the Lord is straight to the upright, but destruction shall come to the workers of iniquity. So if we turn our back on God, he's telling you destruction's going to come. And you don't want to be pushed down. Certainly we know that God loves us because he says he corrects all those that love him. And everyone that is striving to be a child will be corrected. I spank my children because I love them. And I think my children basically love us, my wife and I. And they, and at least the girls call us all the time, and I know our sons love us. So God corrects us when we slip off the path, we make a little bit wrong turn someplace, and something happens, you know. Maybe your car breaks down, maybe you made this beautiful cake and it just flops. You know, there, it might not be big, it might be something small, but yet God's going to correct you because he loves you. And he wants us to continue going forward. But if we turn our back on God, you can be sure that you're going to head to destruction. Remember what happened to Israel when Moses said, choose you out one man from every tribe, and go on up there and God's going to show you what I'm going to give you. Now, he showed it. I mean, we could, it's hard to think that here you were, you've seen the whole nation of Israel destroyed. First, um, crops and all the plagues that hit them, and finally the whole nation, the whole army, just swallowed up in the water. Now God says, I'm going to take you out here and I'm going to show you what I'm going to give you. And out of the twelve, only two come back and said, let's go forward. Ten of them said, nah, it's too much for us, it's too big, we, we can't make it, we won't make it. And what happened? God corrected them for it, didn't he? They spent the next 40 years wandering through the desert until all those people, except for Joshua and Caleb, died of that age that was above 20 years old. The rest of them died. 
in the wilderness because they refused to follow what God told them to do. And he's telling us that today. He's telling us to come here. We can't take to ourselves and say, well, I don't know. Uh, maybe God's not leading this little group. Maybe God's not in the pastor of this group. But I'll tell you, I've seen evidence through sermons that God is there. And being able to work hand in hand, I see God's there. We have to come and recognize that. We don't want to wander for 40 years. I don't think there is 40 years. You know, 40 years from me make me way over 100. I don't want to live 100 years or not. It might be nice, but I don't think I want to. But we want to obey God and follow God's commands and do the things that God tells us to do. See, God started something in your life whenever you were baptized. He looked into this world. He singled you out, whether you know it or not. You didn't search out the church of God. You might think you did, but you didn't. Wherever you were and whatever time it was, God looked down. He saw what was in you as an individual. He saw something there that he could use for the benefit of all humanity, not just you. No, he wants to use you for all humanity, for the 65 billion people that have ever walked this planet. He saw something in you, something important that he could use. And he gave you a calling. And you started around, and you started growing, and you started learning, and you started doing things God's way. But he chose it. He selected you. And he called enough people that he could build the basis of the beginning of a family. He knew he, he knew it because God knows human nature. God knows what people will do. So he called enough people that had the capabilities. Every one of them had that same capabilities. They had something that God could use. It's just whether they wanted to do it or not. Whether they would stay with God and go all the way or whether they would turn around and go back into the world. So he knew what you had. He knew your capabilities. He called you. Philippians chapter 1. So God knows what you can do. He knows your heart. He knows your physical strengths or your physical weaknesses. He knows everything about you. He knows so much about you that you don't even know yourself. But he knows what you can do. And so he called you out. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a work, good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. So God saw something in you. He knows there's something there that he can use. And he's not going to give up on you. If you don't stay around, it's because you gave up on God. So he sees something in you, and he's going to continue it. If he thinks you have that capability and you've come this far... Uh, he might have to correct you pretty sternly here once in a while. He might have to 
put his finger in your nose and say, that's the wrong way. You know, that's what he tells us, doesn't he? That in the world tomorrow, those people are going to be humans walking there, and they're going to start going along. What is he saying? You're going to go and tap on the shoulder and say, hey, that's the wrong direction. This is the way to go. That's what he's doing to us today. When we start to go the wrong way, he's going to say, uh-uh, that's the wrong way. Because God started a good work in you. And he is going to continue that work all the way. Are you willing to go and do it? See, that's where it gets down to. God called, God selects, God knows your capabilities. In Romans 8, Romans 8, God's not going to give up on you. He's picked you out for a specific assignment. We know it's to be a part of the family of God. We know it's part to be married to Christ. Can you imagine being at headquarters, being right there with Christ, right there with the Father, and being part of that body that initiates everything to bring peace and harmony and unity in the world? You're going to be there at that point. So God's collected, you know, called you to do that. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, you see, the love of God, and to them who are called according to his purpose. So you're called for a purpose. And everything's going to work to the good if you let it. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So God is for you. He's brought you to this point. He's selected you to do something. Are you going to go all the way? Or will you be like Israel because you're at a rock and a hard place sometimes? I just can't see to go any farther. I just, I just won't go back. And God wasn't pleased with those people for doing that. Many people died every time they pulled a, a shenanigan like that. They died because they wanted to turn around and go back. So to us, what it is, that God wants you to go forward. He wants you to continue to go forward. It's like he said through Moses, as this nation stood there, what, five, four or five million people, and how many cows, and how many sheep, and how many goats, you know. And we're talking about a vast area of people covered. And they're saying, we're going to die because we can't go backwards, because the army's going to kill us, we can't go forward. We're just, we were better off back then. Were you? Were you better off being in the world? Or are you better off being here today? We have to take the reality of it. You're better off being here because at least you know what God is doing. And if you're willing to follow, if you're willing to obey, if you're willing to listen, and you're willing to put back all your sad feelings or all your woe is me and go forward, continue to go forward, Never go backward. God's not pleased with people that go backward. So how do you stand? 
Are you standing at that point where you have crossed into something fantastic? A time when we know this nation's going to collapse. It's hard to, to, for me to fathom as big a nation as we are that as much a small nation like some of those in, in Europe who are not as big as even some of our states can take our country over. But because we become so lethargic, because we've turned ourselves around and said, I want to go back and be a part of a slave. I want to go back and be a slave. They're going back, and they're going to be a slave because the Scripture says that you're going to become a slave. So where are you better off? Outside the body of Christ, not knowing what's going to happen, and no matter if you tell the people and you can tell them and tell them, and they kind of blow it off. They don't see it. They don't see they're going to become a slave because we're such a great nation. But God says they're going to become slaves, and many of those people will die. Even to the point where in the big cities where they have no food will eat their own children. That's sad to think about. When I think of great-grandchildren, babies that are 19 inches long and weighing six pounds, six and a half pounds, and knowing that it's going to come to a time when this country will sit there and eat their children to keep them alive. It's going to happen. Do you want to go back? Do you want to turn around, go back to this world, and forget God, and maybe find yourself eating your own children. You don't want to go back. We stand at the other side of the sea. We watch all Babylon dying. Don't go backward. Go forward. You know, it might be tough. You look out there and say, it's hard. It's hard. I don't have the beautiful home, I don't have the cars, I don't have the jobs, I don't have the finances. But what you have is God on your side. And you have an opportunity to be there at the headquarters, at the very foundation of a new society. And it won't be like the governments of this world who the very rich and the very powerful control the minorities and everybody's minority but the few. So actually it's the majorities are ruled by the minorities, aren't they? In God's way of life, it will be a government of peace and it will be set for all people. It's something to look forward to. God's offered that to each one of us. So are you going to complain? Are you going to look back at what you had and say, I wish I was back there again. I wish I had my leeks and onions and my beautiful home and my swimming pool and all my children. But Christ said, we have to be willing to give all that up for Christ and give up everything. Are you going to go backward or are you going to continue to go forward? We're at that point of the Red Sea. We can make the decision to suck it up and go forward 
no matter what comes down the line, whether it be cold or hot or dry land, but remember, God promised us a time when he's going to put a cover over us and a wall of fire around us, and we might see the enemy coming in, we might see the armies around us, but God said, I'll protect you because I love you. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want you to be with me. So God started something with you. He picked you as an individual. He started it with you. He plans to carry it all the way. And since you've come this far, how much are you going to have to take and be corrected? How much are you going to be spanked or issued forward? God called you. He doesn't want you to look backward. He doesn't want you to go back into the world. Yes, we live in this world, but he doesn't want us to be a part of their sins and their bad way of life. So it's up to you. You can look back or you can look forward. You can look for a city, a nation, that's built by God. He wants you to be a part of that. He called you to be a part of that. He's called you to be a part of the bride of Christ. Will you be a part of the bride of Christ? Or will you look backward? I'll remind everyone again, as Sarah brought out earlier, we have a new call-in number for you on the line. A new call-in number starting next week, next Sabbath. That number is... 916-233-0500 for our, tele- our uh, live broadcast of the sermon. So remember next week, 916-233-0500. You use the same uh code, which is 9997 pound. So we look forward to seeing you all next week.